Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. Turn to someone, perhaps you haven't looked at them yet, and just look at them and say, hi. <laughs> no, hi, how are you? Glad you're here today. I hope you do that venue. You can do that as well. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, take them and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, we're going to continue a series that we've called The Bridge, discovering the other side of your story. And the bridge, Jesus Christ, is far more than simply knowing what it is to have a relationship with the Lord or to know what it is to have eternal life or what it is to, to have heaven as our hope. But when we understand that, that when we have Christ in our lives as the bridge into our relationship with the Heavenly Father, He's not only the bridge into that, but the bridge into our hope. And we talked about even last week how Christ is the bridge to a new alternative ending. That if you're looking at your life, whether it be spiritually or your inner life or, or in the area of your life that has to do with relationships, if you don't like where you're at, Christ is the master of meeting you where you're at and bringing you to where not only you want to be, but where he wants you to be. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is that the Lord wants you to be where he wants you to be way more than you want to be where the Lord wants you to be. And so he loves helping people get to that place. And today, I want to talk to you a little bit about emotional freedom that can come through our bridge, Jesus Christ. A few, uh, about two months ago now, I was sitting in a Starbucks and... Uh, it was actually, I was away, I was out at a conference, and so I'd get up really early in the morning. That's where I was able to spend my quiet time. I, I don't do devotions well in hotel rooms. I, I just don't do them well. And so I, um, I put, uh, I got up real early, and I was walking, and I'd go down to a local Starbucks right when it was about opening, and I'd put in my headphones, and I'd put on some worship music, and for the next hour or so, I would just sit there and read and journal and um, it was interesting. I was reading a book called Deadly Emotions. Uh, it was written uh, about 10, 12 years ago, and it's a book that, that puts the correlation, uh, the scientific correlation, between emotions, stress, and physical um, disease, and uh, a lot of illnesses that people battle with. And they've been doing those studies since the mid-30s, and about every 20 years or so, a new study will come out, and a new book will come out. But this, this was a fascinating book, and I, I haven't gotten all the way through it yet, but I've been recommending it to, like, everybody I can recommend it to, because it talks about uh, the impact and what, what actually happens to the body when the body goes through stresses. And then he talks about how certain emotions will impact uh, our body more so than other emotions. And one of the areas that he talked about was the area of unforgiveness in the life of anyone, how that tends to have a negative impact physically on their life. And it just so happened that morning I had been working through uh, the book of Matthew, and my reading that morning happened to be Matthew 18. And so I just felt like it was the Lord uh, kind of correlating these two things together. And it's interesting that as I began to work down through it, I had a little journal there, just a book I carried with me. And I just began to write and write and write. And when I got done with that time, I felt like I have to share this with the Colonial Woods family because to me, it just spoke volumes into my life. And it came out of Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus is talking about how to deal with someone who has wronged you, how, how to deal with a brother, and I, I assume he means sister and brother and anyone in your life that has hurt you and sinned against you. And he talks about going to that individual. Well, it's within the context of the discussion of how to deal with people who have sinned, wronged you, or wounded you 
that Peter comes to Jesus. In fact, it's within the same context in verse 21 that he says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, i got to tell you, I've looked at this passage before, and I, when I used to look at this, I used to kind of take those out of con, or I used to take those, those uh, three teachings in that passage and just kind of take them separately. But what strikes me is that Peter, Peter is directly responding to when Jesus talks about how to deal with someone who has wronged you and sinned against you. And I think what is happening, which sometimes will happen when you're hearing me preach, is that I think Peter had a picture come to his mind I don't think this is theoretical I think he has a name I think he has a person I think he has a picture in his mind and he comes to Jesus and he says you know um, almost like he's coming off to the side now he's not because Jesus is teaching all of them but it's almost as if Peter comes to him and says so how many times do I have to forgive that person Seven times? And, and what he's thinking in his mind is, I need to go above and beyond, because Jesus always asks us to go above and beyond. And kind of the understanding within the Hebrew law was that up to three times. You forgive someone up to three times, after that, cut them off. And, and, and so I think Peter's thinking, you know, if I can do better than twice, that probably is really good. And he says, do I, do I, how many times do I have to forgive this person before I can just finally get rid of them? Seven times? And, and the Word of God says, um, Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. The King James Version says seven times 70. It's because it can be either one, 490, 77. It really is not about the particular number. It's about the heartbeat. Jesus isn't trying to tell him keep score for the next 77 times. What Jesus is trying to communicate to Peter is simply having a heart that heals and doesn't harbor bitterness. And then Jesus, as Jesus often does, begins to go into a story to illustrate a point and about a process. And he says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Say that with me, would you? 10,000 talents. That is such an astronomical number. Um, I know messages have been done on this before, and people have tried to put financial numbers to this. Um, and I've done that. And, and, and if you want to put it in today's real dollars, it's uh, roughly $6 billion. That's roughly what it would translate to do with inflation and all those types of things. But, but again, when Jesus uses this term, it isn't about the number. It's about the astronomical impossible number. Because in the Greek slash Jewish system, Jesus picked the biggest number that they had. He said 10,000 talents. They didn't have a unit of measurement. They didn't have a, a term or an understanding of 20,000 talents. 10,000 talents, was it would, it would be the equivalent of saying um, the guy owed him all the money in the world. 
It, it's, it communicates the same thing. It, it's something that you could never repay. See, if you use $6 billion, theoretically, maybe you can't repay $6 billion, but somebody in our world could repay $6 billion. And what Jesus is trying to help him understand is this guy, this guy owed an unimaginable, unattainable, absolutely inconsistent. As soon as he said it, everybody understood it is something that could never be repaid. Let me put it in context. The average working person made between one and two denarii a day. It would take you 10 to 20 years of everyday working to earn one talent. The equivalent for the average working person is 100 to 200 years of work. And you think you've worked a long time, right? That's the picture. And so when Jesus uses that number, immediately they understand. In fact, I just got to be honest with you. How does a person get that far in debt? I mean, I mean you've got to try. That, these are the people that are burning it, right? I mean, these are the ones, they have no respect of others. They have no idea of consequences. And, and that's the idea that comes from this passage. And so Jesus, um, Jesus tells the story, and he says, He went to settle accounts. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and since he was not able to pay the master, ordered that he and his wife and his children and that he be, uh, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And it's interesting, in these next couple of verses, we see three ways that people try to deal with the woundedness in their life. And you just saw the first one, I'm just going to cut my losses. Because when the master sees that there's no way that this guy could ever repay him, he essentially says, I'm going to cut my losses, and I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to sell you. And by the way, law allowed him to do this. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell all of your kids. I'm going to sell everything you own and just try to recoup a little bit. And by the way, just to, if you think he's re getting quite a bit back, he's getting so little back. He, even um, the, the typical male uh, servant would be around 600 denarii would be what they would get. Um, a female would be around 400. Children would be somewhere around 300. And so let's just say he has five kids. You might, if everything, maybe if you sold everything he had and all that he knew, you might have gotten to one talent. And I'm being extremely generous. He's essentially saying, I know that you're never going to repay me. And I know that you never could repay me. So I'm just going to cut my losses. And it's interesting how a lot of times when we're trying to deal with woundedness in our life, that it's just kind of this whole idea, I'm just going to write you off. I'm just going to distance myself. I'm just going to take what I can. I'm just simply going to step back, but I'm going to cut my losses. The rest of the story goes on, and we start to see some others fold into place. And it says, the servant fell on his knees before him, and he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. By the way, no, he's not, okay? It's not happening. But, but, and so I don't know if he's just desperate or if he's just delusional or if he just, doesn't, he just hasn't got a concept of how much trouble he's in. But anyway, he says, hey, just be patient. You know, in the next 100, 200,000 years, I'll pay you everything back. And the servant's master took pity on him 
and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now it's interesting because the second way that we tend to try to deal with woundedness in our life is payback. Say that with me, would you? Payback. It's this idea that little by little, I'm going to extract payment from you. I expect you. In fact, by the way, that's why we use the words like, um, you owe me an apology. Um, you really owe me on this one. Because when somebody has sinned against us or has if I can put it this way, when someone has wounded us, okay, whatever it is, they have essentially stolen something from you. And so when we talk about this idea of forgiveness and unforgiveness, what we're really dealing with, it's an accounting term that has to do with, with, a, with, with a debt or a cost that someone owes us. And so that's why we use those kinds of words. And this guy comes to him, and um, I find it so interesting. In fact, it wasn't until I was really reading through it again last night, even while I was preaching, that a couple of things really struck me. Now, first of all, the guy owed him 100 denarii, and that is equivalent to right between a month and two months wages, okay? And so can I just ask, that's, that's not an insignificant amount. How many of you, if someone owed you between one and two months wages, how many of you would say, I'd kind of like to get that back? Just raise your hand if you'd kind of like to get that back. Try to see who doesn't, because I want to know who I can borrow from, right? <laughs> that might be anywhere, I mean, that could be anywhere from $2,000 to ten. dollars maybe 15, 20,000, even more. I mean, that, that can be a big span, but let's just say it's $2,000, and let's just say the guy, the guy owed him that, and he said, be patient with me because I will pay you back. Now, I'll be honest with you, he actually could have. What fascinates me is this. Do you see how, he, do you see how the, the servant who had been forgiven of so much, do you see how he treats him? He doesn't just go to him and say, hey, pay me back he goes to him and he chokes him you got to be pretty angry to do that and he's just coming off the, the the cusp of having been forgiven a hundred thousand years of labor now let's just uh and I, I know some of you probably don't owe on your homes anymore but let's just say you go ahead and you go out and buy a new home and you borrow all the money and let's just say you owe a quarter million dollars on the home how many of you would be excited if the bank called you and said hey i'm canceling your debt you don't owe us anything on the how many would be excited about that in fact i would be so excited i probably would walk into tim hortons and i would say coffee and donuts are on me I probably would. I mean, I'm thinking, just, just do it. I'm excited. And there's an excitement. There is no joy in this guy. He's just been forgiven, and we don't, know, we don't know if he doesn't really think he was forgiven. We don't know if he's thinking, you know, the master canceled the debt, but maybe the debt's going to come back on me. So maybe, maybe I really do need to make sure I go out and try to collect this. I, we don't know exactly. But what strikes me is, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in my Bible in the margin, all I put down is, why is this guy so angry? 
It's amazing when we feel like someone has wounded us how angry we, we can become. And what begins to happen is we, we really just simply want payback. And payback can come by putting them through what they put us through. Payback can be them literally trying to earn their keep back into our life, their grace back into our life. But find, look what he did. This is what strikes me, and honestly, this is what floored me. And for the last month, there's only been one word on a piece of paper that's been sitting in my notes that I've been dwelling on. It comes in this next passage. It says in verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. The third way that we try to deal with woundedness is we punish people. And I couldn't get away from this when I was sitting in that Starbucks. All I kept, everything I wrote had to do with prisons. And I got to tell you, I've preached out of this passage a number of times. I don't know. I probably have used it as an example any number of times. What struck me is prisons. And I, I started to ask the question, why, why would you put somebody in prison if they owed you something? Because nobody can pay you back when they're in prison. Now you're saying, well, what, what about debtor's prison? No, I understand debtor's prison. I understand the concept. But, but you get paid so little. I mean, uh, even in today, I mean, I don't know what you get when you're in, in prison, but what is it, four bucks a day, five bucks a day? I mean, he, he had a much better chance of actually paying him back if the guy could have just been out working. I mean, and, and it struck me, I don't think the guy was interested in getting paid back. I don't think he really wanted him to pay back. In fact, prison is not about payback. Prison is about punishment. When you throw somebody in a prison, what you're really saying is, I want to put you in a place where, and I'm talking about our prisons, right? The emotional prisons that we put people in. What I'm really telling you is, is that I want to be able to just keep being angry at you. I want to continue just to hold these feelings against you. And I simply, in fact, look what they call these individuals. When you send a people, when, when the master finds out what has happened, he actually sends the first one back. And the word that is used for the jailer um, in the King James Version, it uses the actual word. It means the tormentor, the torturer. This is not about payback. This is not about debt reduction. This is about, and it struck me how many times when someone has hurt us in life, where we tend, in fact, you know what's interesting? Many times we go through all three of these. If you look at the life of Joseph, it's really interesting. Joseph actually went through some phases in his life where he was trying to do all these things. He was trying to just simply forget about his family. He was trying to cut his losses. There were times in Joseph's life where Joseph was trying to punish them. Uh, you see as he interacts with his brothers, there's times that he's looking for a little bit of payback in their life. But the fact is, is that none of these things will take care of the wounds of your life. There's actually only one way that's described in this passage that you can deal with woundedness, and that's the last one, that's forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is the only way to actually deal with a debt because what forgiveness does is it cancels the debt. In fact, I found it interesting. The master in this story started off with a very intuitive response. He said, I'm just going to cut my losses. But then after he looked at the person with pity, that's when he made a choice to cancel the debt. It's to write off the debt. It's as if someone owes you an IOU for something that could never be repaid and it's you letting go of that and refusing to pick that up in your life. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you have to do this. You, you have to do this. In fact, when you read through this passage, you would almost think that Jesus is angry when he's pe speaking to Peter. But I don't think he's angry at him. It says, um, it says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. By the way, when you throw people in prisons... When you hold people captive in emotional prisons, it hurts the people around you too. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And when the master saw the servant, or he called the servant in, he says, you wicked servant, I canceled all of the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. You could write in there, he turned him over to the tormentors, that's the actual word, until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus says this to Peter, Peter, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And I got to be honest, um, I've often looked at that and thought of it as Jesus given a warning um, and kind of a stern warning, but I, I don't think it is. You see, I think Peter came with a very honest question, and I think he came with an individual that had sinned against him, and he said, Jesus, how often do I have to forgive this guy? And Jesus goes into this, and when Jesus looks at him, he might have been angry, he might have said, you have to do this, he might have been warning him, but I got to be honest with you looking at the context of this whole thing I wonder if Jesus wasn't looking at him and saying Peter you have to do this you, you have to do this and why would Jesus push so hard well three quick things as you finish up today because if you refuse to forgive you are pushing the self-destruct button in your life this is going to kill you and physically, it's going to take ramifications. That book I talked about, uh, Deadly Emotions, it's interesting as they did study the, how, how unforgiveness, bitterness, anger in a person's life, it is really interesting the correlation between cancer, diabetes, between all kinds of diseases that individuals will deal with in their life that impact them. They literally get down to the, 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 the molecular level to talk about what is happening when certain emotions and certain hormones are being released into the body and it just literally is disintegrating a person. But Peter looks at, uh, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you've got to forgive because if you don't, it is, you're pushing your own self-destruct button. One of my favorite stories on forgiveness is the pastor who was preaching on forgiveness at his little church and, and, um, and as he's talking about forgiving, he's talking about forgiving enemies and the people in life who have wronged you and, and uh, so he, at one point in the message he said um, how many of you 
uh, this morning want to forgive the, your enemies in your life. And everybody in the congregation, they all raised their hand except one guy, uh, Brother Johnson, who was sitting on the front row. And uh, he was like 90-some years old. And so the pastor um, looked down at Brother Johnson. He said, Brother Johnson. He said, everybody else in this place wants to forgive his enemies and forgive the people. And he says, Brother Johnson, tell me, why don't you want to forgive people? He goes, he says, I don't have any enemies. Pastor was so impressed, he, he couldn't believe it. And he, he gets Brother Johnson to come on stage, and he says, Brother Johnson, come on up here. And so the ushers came down, and they helped him get up on stage. And he said, Brother Johnson, how old are you? And he goes, well, I'm 96 years old. And, and the pastor says, Brother Johnson, you've got to tell me. He says, you're 96 years old. How is it that you don't have any enemies in life? And uh, Brother Johnson just looked back and said, well, I've outlived all those miserable wretches. You know? <laughs> Isn't it interesting how we can try to keep people in prison even after they die? Number two, if you refuse to forgive, you're locking a prison door and it's yours. I wanted and I wish I had done this now in my mind, I had this picture of having a big prison door up here. And it would be so interesting because we're on the outside looking in. And in our mind, we're hurting someone when we put them in a prison, right? We're, we're punishing them. And I thought about having this thing in such a way so that I could rotate it, so that looking in and holding onto the prison door and then just simply turn around and realize that you're the one who just locked yourself in. Because you realize that when you are holding someone captive, when you're taking score and trying to earn a payback or punish them, what, you're, what, what we're doing is every day, every time we dwell on that, every time we pick up that hurt, we are giving them free rent right here at the front of our It's like every day we're allowing them to steal again. And I'll tell you this, probably three-quarters of the time that we're doing this to someone, we think we're hurting them and they have no idea we're even doing it. But it's holding us captive. Now Jesus is, is teaching this with an understanding of what he's going to yet do. And the third thing refusing to forgive does is refusing to forgive denies the work of forgiveness that Christ wants to do in our life. See, Jesus knows he's going to the cross. Jesus knows that ultimately he's going to become the bridge of salvation. That Jesus understands that to have a relationship in freedom and to have the relationship with God we always wanted to have, Jesus understands that he is going to be that answer. And he, in, in fact, he understands that he is going to be making the payment. He's going to be giving the forgiveness. In fact, if you haven't figured it out by now, that first servant, that wicked servant, that one who owed the unimaginable debt, that is not your ex. That is not your mom or your dad. That is not the person who've, who's hurt you, whether it be in your childhood or whether it be recently. It is not that person. It's you. It's me. 
We're the ones who owe the, the insurmountable, unimaginable debt, right? It's the one we could never pay. We, we never could. And so what Jesus is helping him to understand is that when you are refusing to forgive, you are denying the very forgiveness that you've received at the cross. Andy Stanley says it this way. Andy Stanley says, and he says it very tenderly, but he says it this way. At Calvary, I lost my right not to forgive. And when I began to think about it, what, what we do when we're forgiving is we are not saying that the person didn't hurt me. In fact, it's the very opposite. If there was no hurt, if there was no sin, if there was no debt, if there's nothing to owe you, there really is nothing to forgive. So, so obviously, it's, it's real. It's not doing that. It's not, it's not saying that I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting this whole thing ever took place because we're people, right? And, and you, will, you will likely, you will always have some hurt that comes with a wound. I think the enemy steals victory from Christians all the time who thought they had forgiven, but they still struggle with hurt. Goodness, it doesn't mean you don't hurt. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. It just means you refuse to keep picking it up and holding on to it. But what it really is is reassigning the debt. Um, Several months ago, we received word from our, our regional um, uh, our region that they, we, they were going to disband our investment foundation, uh, Michigan Loans and Investments. Uh, it's a, it, people can invest in it. You get a nice rate of return. Uh, and then they use that money to loan to churches who uh, either are going to build or maybe they're doing a building project or whatever it is. And it's been very successful. It's been in, in existence for quite some time. But those who were in charge of that investment foundation decided to disband it, not because it didn't have a use anymore, but because we have a national one. And they just said, you know, it's kind of silly. We're doing, we're doing duplicate books. We're doing duplicate administrative costs. That doesn't make sense. And so they encouraged people. In fact, a number of you probably did. We had some money from the church that we had invested there. And so we just simply moved it over to our investment foundation with uh, Michigan Loans and Investments. And uh, I happened to sit on the national board, and so I was sitting in a meeting, and I hadn't even thought about this, and one of the guys said, well, what happened with the mortgages? Because, you know, churches, some churches had mortgages with them, and Steve, who happens to oversee the, uh, the national one, said, well, we, we purchased the debt. Be just like a bank does when they buy a mortgage. We, we went ahead and we bought those. It was a separate action, and we took care of that. And right when he said that, I thought, oh, my word, that's what Christ does. Because when you forgive somebody, you're not letting them off the hook. You're just letting them off your hook. What you're doing is you're saying, they owe me something. I'm taking the mortgage. I'm taking the IOU that they owe me. And frankly, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to do any debt collection. It's not a lot of fun. And so I'm going to quit being in the debt collection business. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to hand it over to Christ because on the cross, he purchased all my debt. He purchased mine, and he purchased anything that I would want to hold on to. And so I'm going to give this to him. That's why scripture says, leave room for God's wrath, right? He's just. And you know what? If God wants to collect on that, he can do so in a much better way than I ever could. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm out of that business. And Jesus says something. Peter, you, you have to do this. 
prisons, prisons will turn right back on you. Unforgiveness is going gonna, gonna to destroy you. You've been shown so much grace. Isn't it time to, uh, to experience some emotional freedom by modeling your Heavenly Father and letting go and letting God be God? Would you pray with me? In a few moments, we're going to be inviting people to service the elements of communion, and we'll, we'll prepare for that, but I, I want to spend a little time with you if I can. And I hope you're catching my heart today. This is not, um, this is hopefully not in your face. This is a heart that loves you and I, I tell you what if I love you I guarantee Christ loves you multiple times more it's, it's time you've been, you've been cutting your losses and trying to punish and pay back and, and we do it in all different kinds of ways I mean we, we don't maybe do it physically against a person but we do we have all different kinds of ways that we hold on to these things and the Lord is just saying you need to forgive and as, mo as emotional as it can be to forgive it is not an emotional decision it's an act of your will you make this choice I, I had a guy one time tell me years and years ago when I was a young pastor he said um, forgiveness can happen in a moment but the emotions come by slow freight train it can take some time but the Lord will help you with those but Lord today I'm going to invite all of us that are here to just kind of pray along. If today you'd like to open some prison doors. Jesus, I realize that um, I'm holding on to some stuff. More than likely, there's a name, there's even a picture right now that's coming to your mind. And I'm really tired of being a prison tender and trying to keep watch over all of these feelings and emotions in my life. And I... I'm, I'm really tired of that. And Lord, I have. I've tried in the past. I've tried to let go of things. But right now, Lord, what I want to do is I'm transferring this to you. And I'd like for you, if you would, in your mind's eye, just to imagine Christ hanging on a cross, dying for our sins. And it says that uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And I want you to imagine that you've taken a picture of that person or the name of that person and it's written on a piece of paper and that you're going to the cross right now and you're kneeling down there at the cross and that you simply take that picture, that person, that situation, that event in your life and you, you take a hammer and you take a nail and you nail it to the cross. And you may feel like, well, wait a minute, I'm adding to Jesus' suffering. No, he paid it all. 
This isn't adding. In fact, if I could tell you anything, I believe this is you worshiping him as you trust him enough to not only forgive you, but to enable you to forgive others. And Can I encourage you in this moment just to transfer that debt? Jesus, I, uh, I want to make a bold step today. I want to forgive. And Lord, I got to admit, sometimes the memories come back and it brings a lot of wounds, it brings a lot of hurt, it kind of brings back some old emotions, but by your grace, Lord, I'm going to refuse to keep picking that up and harboring it. I'm going to, I'm going to refuse to keep telling other people about it and trying to get my position out there. I'm, I'm going to refuse to do that, Lord. They're off my hook. They're on yours. If I trust you enough to deal with my life, then I need to trust you enough to deal with theirs. Lord, I love you. And as I come into this time of communion and I prepare for it, I just, I just feel like I want to give all of this to you because I want to be able to come in and just enjoy being in your presence. And so, Lord, I give these things to you. I give my life to you. I give the prison doors to you. And I open up my hands. In fact, when I do that, I can't help but just raise my hands and open up my fists. I I just can't. I can't help it. I just got to do it. I give it all to you, Lord. Would your grace sweep over me? Would your love sweep over me? Holy Spirit, would you minister in these moments as we celebrate you? Just a side note, isn't it interesting that throughout history of the church that when believers would come together for communion, that spontaneous healings would take place? That, by the way, that's true. Go back and check it out. Spontaneous healings is as if when the Lord is present in a place, things begin to happen. And Lord, I I just choose to believe and understand that your spontaneous healings are far larger than physical, but you emotionally can heal and spiritually heal. And so in these moments, as we begin to just prepare our own hearts, we would ask, Father, for you to heal in a powerful way through your presence in Jesus' name. Father, it struck me as we're waiting for those who are serving us to be served as well. That even in waiting for one another, your word tells us not to rush ahead, but to wait on one another. Lord, even in this act, we're mutually submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. There is something about... um, coming before you communing with you and knowing that that these are decisions that we're making personally but there is something also very powerful about having the commonality of the body of Christ that we're a family that is coming before you as well supporting one another in these decisions and encouraging one another in these sometimes very deep spiritual challenges that we get. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we thank you. We thank you for your provision of not only our own forgiveness, but 
your provision to enable us to forgive others to know what it is to be like Christ to have your grace and peace working in our lives we thank you on the night that he was betrayed Jesus took the bread and he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me Word of God says that following the evening meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, This is the cup of my covenant, my blood. By the way, the Word of God says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Your Word says that you said that as often as you do this, you're doing so in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the cup of Christ together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for relentlessly pursuing us in our lives. We remember our promises to you as well. And as we walk out today, we want to praise you with our very lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.